Hello, hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Told. Welcome back, Walter. It's been a uh, while. Yes, it's been, it's all me, man. I'm going to, it is all it, 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 Yes. Okay, Kyle, you, you don't have to repeat that. To <laughs> any, you know. No, it's been me. You know, uh, if, if everybody's looking, uh, you know, I, I had to move. I moved into a new house. Uh, the process, if you know me, uh, took about 13 months and I was miserable every single day. <laughs> you include a, include a move-in day, you know, so uh, I will tell you that uh, it's, it's good to be back. I miss this, you know, my weekends were spent looking for furniture and stuff like that, so this is way better. Well, we, than, we, can uh, think, uh, we can think Todd, Todd King is back with us today. Yes. One that was, yes. He was very excited to talk to everybody about real estate, so he was actually pushing us to get this done, so that was the tipping yeah. point that made Walter finally decide to join <laughs> us again. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you, Todd, because then my wife just ended up having to go shopping for uh, lamps by herself. So thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. <laughs> hey, one of the things, yeah. Dr. Walter, we talk about is, is state management there, being miserable every day. We can't have that. Got to get you no, in a good state. You, then you shouldn't build a house, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an easy solution. Just don't build a house. You'll be happy every day, man. I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's crazy. But no, I'm, I'm actually very, very excited, man. Thank you so much, Todd, for coming back on to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. so we thought uh, Todd would be a good uh, person to talk about real estate because last last episode with him, um, he talked about uh, his history with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's a... Uh, that's kind of where we're going to let Todd take over for a little bit and um, first tell us a little bit more about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and why that uh, kind of how that got you into real estate and go from there. Can I just say real quick, Todd, before you begin, I don't know anybody that doesn't know or hasn't read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you have not, if you listen to us and have not read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you need to stop this podcast right now. Come back, of course, but stop, go read the book. And then, because it's going to change your life, it really is just so. It when when you're done, it seems simple enough. But while you're reading, you're like, "Oh man, I never thought of it like that." And I think it just changes your mindset. So, Todd, you're the man of the hour. So please let me let me stop interrupting. Oh, absolutely. So, um, originally, um, I was in I was at college WVU, and I and I went to a class that Robert Kiyosaki and the company is called Rich Dad Education. Was it the name of the company? And I went to a class and I was like, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. So I actually went and flew down to Florida. They had an office in Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Florida, one of the branches for the Rich Dad Education side of the company. And um, I was 20, I was real young, 23, 24 years old, just graduating college. I didn't leave until they hired me. I was wow. like, I so believed in the concept so much that I went there the same day, stayed in a hotel, went back the next day and went back again. And finally they hired me and, and as a coach. And um, it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And wouldn't be coaching doctors and dentists if it wasn't for me starting with, uh, with Rich Dad. And um, tell you what, the, the most important thing kind of to understand about the whole Rich Dad philosophy and, and learning, you know, what I've learned from Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Robert Kiyosaki is understanding investments. Before you can even be a coach, you have to understand how investments work. A lot of people understand, they know, hey, oh, I'm gonna get this return, I'm gonna get that return, or are you really getting that return? What is your true return, your true return on that investment? And that's the biggest thing he taught me. And I really wanted to just kind of start today with just, hey, or do you really understand your investments? And, um, and kind of talk about a few different um, investments. Um, so for example, what are you guys investing in? What are some of the things you got, you're doing, Dr. Walter, right now? Uh, well, stocks, 
um, you're investing in your own business. Um, but I love stocks. I'll be honest with you. I love stocks. And I will tell you that real estate scares me, right? So I've been really looking into syndications, you know. Um, but yeah, let me see. What else do you invest in? Oh, um, my buddy, he started a whole collection on, on watches. And if anybody knows, when it comes to the price of watches like Rolex and stuff like that, I mean, the value. Has, my, see, listen. <laughs> I invest in them as well. Why am I, talk, why am I talking? Why am I talking? <laughs> you, know? you know, so so again, I mean, these are little things that you don't think about, right, when you don't know. And now that I know, I'm like, man, I never thought about that. The fact that a Rolex could literally 3X in a few years. I mean, it's been booming recently, right, Todd? Like, this is what it I'm hearing, been. I'm reading, and it's crazy. And you're like, watch, really? But it's just a store of value. It's just the ability to just say, hey, I want, you know, the demand is going to be there. Demand is always going to be there. So something like that, even Porsche, you know, and I, we're talking the high-end stuff here, right? But it, it could be anything, like Pokemon cards, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's gone crazy. I remember at one point, my brothers were, you know, taking other kids' Pokemon cards, like, oh, I'll give you five for one. And I'm like, hey. I didn't realize my brothers were hustling, you know, these kids, but it, it, it was true, right? You can find value in a lot of this, right? Uh, NFTs are big right now. You know, I still don't understand them, but uh, non-fungible tokens, to me, I'm just like, you just drew a picture and now you're selling it for millions of dollars, but people want it, you know? So there's so many different things when it comes to uh, investments, man. Hey, what about you, Dr. Dumber? What's your favorite investment right now? Ah. Uh... I'm kind of the, the guy that likes to spread the eggs across multiple baskets. Um, I've recently, recently been doing maxing out I bonds because of the inflation is um, super high. So they're paying at a little over 7% right now. I have getting into real estate with uh, different companies um, through the REITs where fundrise.com and uh, there was a uh, peak group does, it's kind of a, a real estate um, hands-off approach, and then the traditional 401k um, stuff with stocks and bonds, and um, you know, investing in the dental practice because that's really the the biggest yeah. dividend. You know, investing in equipment and upgrading everything because that that pays for itself, and that's been the biggest return I, I've gotten. Absolutely. Well, luckily you got a great guy, um, you know, Greg, a practice CFO. I know um, you work closely with him. He's got a great handle on, on what you're doing. But, you know, one of the things what, that Robert talks about is really is understanding cash on cash return. And I'm just going to explain it very simply, and then we're going to take a little deep dive into it. So cash on cash return is your total return net, right? Divided right. by your total investment. Okay. So if you invested $20,000 in a um, Pepsi Rolex watch and you got $30,000 back. Well, what's your return on your investment on that? 10,000. Yeah. What's that? 10,000. 10,000. 10, Percentage wise, what would it be? 50%. Yeah. Yeah. 50%. So yeah, actually, yeah. 50%, right? So it's 50% return on investment. A lot of people don't even realize when they're putting money in different things, what their actual return on investment is. What is the safest overall? And I'm not going to bash on banks too much here um, because banks play a big role in what, in what we do. But what is the safest investment for most people out there? Somebody that doesn't have the, the connections that you guys do or understand NFTs or have somebody that they work with like, like Kyle, Dr. Kyle does there at Practice CFO. What's the safest investment out there right now? Uh, I was going to say retirement, but I'm not even sure of it anymore. 
the past three months have kind of said otherwise, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Probably a CD. Okay. Because, oh, mean, true. You're right. CD. Yeah. The so a CD yeah. is historically a CD, and in Robert's terms, would be a certificate of death or a certificate of depreciation. <laughs> but right now, just to give you an example, you're getting less than 1%. And if you invested in a CD, a lot of people, it, it's good for a lot of America because they're going to spend that money if they don't invest or they don't know how to do invest properly or invest in the right things. They're not educated in it, right? But if you're getting, let's say, a 1% on a CD, the problem with that is, and with a lot of investments, is that money even liquid? No. No. It's not no, it's, really. I mean, because yeah. if you pulled that money out, now you don't even, you lose your interest, a little bit of 1% interest that you have, you pull the money out early. So it's not even liquid to be able to change it around. You know, people could argue and say a Rolex isn't liquid or, you know, real estate's not liquid. Well, you know, we can always sell it if we buy it at the right price. And kind of what you were just talking about, supply and demand, that's, a, that's the valuation for everything in our lives including real estate. I mean, if there's more supply, then, then there's less demand. What's going to happen to anything? Right. You know, the prices are going to go so, up. Yeah. So, and then, so my thing is, and, and, and really when, how Robert teach taught me this and how we've really, and I still to this day believe in this and it's how I even look at dental practices, you figure out your cash on cash return into something, but let's say you're getting 1% in a CD, you put a, you have a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to put 1% in a CD. Um, now, how much are you going to make in a year? How much extra money are you going to make? A thousand. $1,000. Well, here's what most people don't realize. What's inflation? 7%. Like two, right but now. now it is. Yeah. <laughs> Historically, since 1915, um, it's been 3.4% per, per year. Historically, since 1915. So if you're investing in a CD, think about this. If you're investing in a CD at 1% or even something else that you're getting 2 or 3%, maybe something maybe a little more creative, and inflation historically, we're not even talking about what it is now, is at 3.5%, your personal buying power and your personal net worth in theory is actually going down per year. Mm -hmm. So it's not the same investment. It's not, but for some people it is because they're going to go spend that money. They don't understand, you know, understand the principles of investing and they probably never read, you know, obviously the rich dad, poor dad book or, or many other, you know, financial books. So, I mean, CDs do serve their purpose. I don't want to get into a huge thing, but the CDs are great because if, if banks didn't have the CDs and didn't have places, um, uh, certificates of deposits, guess what? They wouldn't be able to lend money for all of us on dental practices and things like that. You know, they're lending that money because they have to have that money coming in. So they're right. using that safe money and they're using that to lend 10 times more than they're getting in. Right. So that's why I love banks in some regards. And then because, you know, if we can actually use banks to, to our advantage, so right. we got to be creative with our money. So um, any entrepreneurs on here, any doctors that are listening here, you know, I really encourage you to, to think about when we start talking about real estate and, and you can use what I'm about to teach you guys and how to analyze this. You can use this on any business. I use it with my, my um, dentist that I work with right now when we're doing a merger and acquisition. I own mm -hmm. several other companies as well. You know, I'm constantly using how, how are we doing my cash and cash return. And there's EBITDA, there's all these different um, terms, different things, but truly it comes down to what is your actual cash on cash return going to be? Right. So I'm going to put you guys on the spot. And I know you guys never heard this before, but if I had to go buy a rental property and I had the cash, let's say I'm going to go, I own, I've owned more properties in Louisville, Kentucky in my life than I've owned anywhere else. I've okay. never lived in Louisville. 
but it's a it's a good midwestern city that you've always been able to get good prices on real estate it's always had a good economic development commission that's always been growing the area um, they have really good um, landlord friendly laws compared to a lot of states um, so so i've owned more units in louisville and um, just a disclaimer, I did sell a lot of my real estate a little too soon because I didn't, I thought when COVID happened, I'm not going to lie. I thought that the market was going to have its correction sooner. I still think it may be coming, but that's a whole nother right. thing. But, right. but I started liquidating then, but still, I still liquidated good. But, um, but, it, but I mean, more units in Louisville. So I like Louisville, but you could buy a house for $70,000, $80,000 and you could rent it out for, let's say, $100,000 a month. Um, just a really quick thing I'm going to teach you guys uh, when you're looking at real estate, if you can look at a rental property and if you can just really quickly, if you look at the purchase price and you look at the amount of rent that comes in, if that is a 1%, we call it the 1% rule, then you know that you should, but there's still a lot more you need to do it on the 1% rule. You should get about a 10% return on that investment. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar house, for you to get about a 10%, which I wouldn't recommend investing in anything, you know that you need to get a, that property needs to get about a thousand dollars a month in rental right. income. Okay. So I'm going to give you a, a really good resource here. There's a, a website, they have a free and a paid version, but you just need the, the free version um, for anything that anybody on here is doing. It's called rentometer.com. Um, I have no affiliation with them, it's just one that I, a website that I use. I love it because when I'm looking at different areas, even your own areas with Rentometer, it analyzes all the active rental listings in that area. So you type in the address of the property you're looking at and you'll see about what it'll come in, what, what it'll, it'll rent for per month. So then we can start figuring out, now we break it down and start figuring out our cash on cash return. That's kind of the starting point. We got to figure out what we're going to get in rent. Okay. So if you had the cash to buy that property, all cash and didn't get bank financing, do you think your cash on cash return is going to be higher if you paid all cash for it or if you went and got a, a loan from the bank? So where a lot of people get confused here. Think about this. If you had, you're buying an $80,000 piece of a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, two-bath house in a safe neighborhood, not a, a working-class neighborhood, mm -hmm. and you had the $80,000 cash, are you better off paying cash for it or are you better off getting a, putting 20% down and getting a loan? Doing loan. Yeah, the loan. Because yeah, you, you guys get, are right. You can get yeah, you can get four houses if they're all the exactly same. right. Yep, exactly. So so let's kind of like just walk through. Um, well, let's walk through a property, like a sample property. Let's just say we were able to find one for in a working class neighborhood. Let's say um, you guys can write these numbers down. Let's just say eighty thousand dollar purchase price on a house. Okay. And I'm going to show because a lot of people on this call are probably thinking, well, I would just pay cash for it. And I really want, you know, the whole purpose of this is for you to maximize your investments. So I really would love for everybody on the call just to take these numbers down, listen to it, understand, you know, hey, if, you, if you're at the end of the day, if you want to go pay cash for all your properties, that's your choice. Obviously, you don't have a mortgage on it, but I think um, I'll at least put, give you a different perspective on why I don't like to pay cash or use all my cash on, on one deal and how I've been able to acquire the amount of properties I have is because of the a term called leverage. And um, so if we have an $80,000 house, let's say we go, go to Rentometer and we say that that property, let's just say is going to be $800 in rent. That gets us our 1% rule. Mm -hmm. It's probably a little bit lower numbers right now with inflation. We could do 
you know, you it'd probably be pretty hard to find a, a decent eighty thousand dollar house. Let's you can do the same thing: one twenty, twelve hundred, whatever it's going to be. What's the first thing that has to get paid, just so everybody understands all the expenses that are associated with their rental property? Well, mortgage. Well, really, the first thing that has to get paid, no matter what, if you're you guys are going to be managing the properties yourself, when you're have a uh, you have a property manager, they collect the money for you. They always pay themselves first. <laughs> so that's that how it sense. works. If you hire a property manager, they collect that money, then they're going to pull out their ten percent. So now, let's say typically on average, if you if it's, you're in an area, most of the property managers are going to charge ten percent. So now we're at 800. Now now we're minus $80. Can you break that down when it comes to property managers? Like, how do you really look for a good property manager, right? Because in my mind, a good good property manager is to keep that tenant in the spot for as long as possible, right? Without high turnover, because I'm sure you're paying them every time they have to find somebody. So like, how do you make sure that that, you know, you said uh, 10%. How does that work out? Like, how do you find a property manager that could, you know, Benefit yeah, you. There's a, another good um, a website, and I, know, I don't want to throw a bunch of websites out there, but it's IREM.org. It's the International Real Estate Management Organization. And you can go in there and you can type the city that you're looking for properties, and it will tell you who's actually the certified property managers. It's better than um, some states. Like I'm originally from West Virginia, and I have a lot of rental properties in Morgantown where the college is. Mm-hmm. Well, in Morgantown, you don't even have to be a licensed real estate agent to own, to be, to manage other people's properties, anybody, somebody gets out of prison, whatever, <laughs> they can start taking money right now and they can advertise as a property manager. They don't even have to have an LLC set up in some States. Okay. Now in Pennsylvania, where I live now, you do have to be a licensed real estate agent to manage somebody else's property. Okay. So it's a state by state thing, but just because you go to real estate school, that doesn't mean that you understand how to manage money and manage somebody's properties and everything to do with it. You know, right. I've been to real estate school. I was a licensed agent in Florida for a while when I was down there working for um, Richette Education. And, you know, they don't teach you anything about property management. You know, there's some weekend classes, kind of like, you know, you guys can go to a weekend class on an implant. Are you ready to do a full implant on somebody Monday, the day you get back from, from a two-day CE class? Probably not, right? There's a lot more that goes to it. Right. And it's the same thing with like the, um, the, the you know, people that say they're, in property management. So, but if you go to IREM.org, um, I think it's .org, maybe .com, but .org. Um, .org, okay, perfect. Yeah, you'll be able to, should be able to type it in in the city and you should be able to get a good reference. That's what the first person I like to find in an area because that's the start of what I call your power team. One of my other companies is actually called Power Team Advisors. I'm so big on power team because you can't be doing this stuff yourself. I can't be managing my properties. I can't be getting calls in the middle of the night. If I got a call about a toilet in the middle of the night with all my properties, my wife would probably hang me. So I can't <laughs> do that. So she would, so you have to be, and same for you guys, you guys need to focus, any dentist on here needs to be focused on their business. They cannot be focused on worrying about the little things about property management. Right. Um, so, so that's the thing. You have to have a property management and if the numbers don't work with a property management, don't buy it. If you can't, if you can't hit what your minimum is going to be, then if you say you want a 14% minimum or whatever you, you make a commitment to yourself on, if you can't hit that, then don't buy it. You got to have all these expenses we're going to talk about. And the reason I'm going to go through this, some of it might seem a little basic, but you know, I think that most people, if they're going to buy single family homes, you know, they need to make sure that they're calculating for everything. So 
we'll do our property management first. And if you get like in Louisville, I, I was actually down to about 5% on property management because we had a lot of units and they were managing a lot of them. So if you use by one oh. or two, you're typically 10%. Um, actually, and I haven't, I haven't even seen what they're charging. I don't know if they've increased it with inflation. I haven't bought any properties in the last 14 months. So um, I don't know if i um, trying to keep on holding out, but I don't know if they've even <laughs> raised with everything else. Um, so you got your property management first, then we got, mm-hmm. we got to pay our taxes. Okay. We got to pay our taxes. So on a house like that, let's just say maybe, I don't know, 600 bucks a month or 600 bucks a year, thousand dollars a year. It's a little bit lower in Kentucky. It's not, I know in Texas there, you guys have super high taxes, but you guys don't pay the state income. So they make we it do, up yeah. on the tax side. They do. Yeah. On the property mm-hmm. tax side where we're Kentucky and West Virginia, some of these mid Midwestern states that have the highest cash on cash return for investments they do have relatively low property taxes um, compared in comparatively. Um, So let's just say, let's just throw, you know, it's 500 bucks. So let's just say say 600 bucks a year, divide that by 12. What's that? 50 bucks a month taxes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we got insurance, which is usually probably about $50 a month um, for a rental property. So we have insurance and then, um, then we have repairs. We have to do a budget for repairs, you know, okay. and a lot of people don't, don't really think about, oh my gosh, what's repair. So I always put a 10% budget in there at least. And that's on a property. That's a good property that did good in the inspection. Now you always get an inspection, right? And if you did a good home inspection, it'll should tell you on there, the estimated life expectancy of the roof. It should tell you the estimated life expectancy of the HVAC unit. So I always take that and I say, let's say if the roof's only got three years left and I know mm-hmm. a roof's going to cost $15,000, I'm going to add that in addition to the regular 10% repairs. I'll break that down over the next three years. Okay. So if I know an HVAC unit's going to cost me $7,000, i will break that down over three years and start putting that in my my repair fund or my repair, the separate part, separate um, escrow account that we keep together just for repairs. So, the so worst thing okay. you can do. Yeah. So let me just kind of break that down. Make sure I make it makes sense. So let's just say that you're collecting 12,000, right? Uh, a year. And you do all okay. the numbers. Let me say you're putting $5,000 down a month for that 15,000 roof, $15,000 roof. Correct. So if we did um, say the roof is fifteen thousand dollars and, and you broke it out over three, yeah, over, over three, three years, years. that's so five thousand dollars a year divided by thirty six yeah. months, four hundred sixteen dollars a month. I would budget in there, right? Yeah, if you do that per year, that's about five thousand. So, yeah. so yeah. the question is, so you're basically saying that be prepared for maybe the first few years to not be net positive based on what you're talking about so far. It depends on your strategy. Absolutely. Yep. And then you may not want to, or you go ahead and, and factor that in, and in the total investment side of it, you factor that in the front. So instead of paying 80,000, you, your total investment, and it's going to be 95. Mm-hmm. You could always look at it like that as well. Right. There's okay, kind of cool. two different ways you can kind of look at it. Okay. Um, but yep. Depending on whether you're going, what we call PCF, which is your positive cash flow monthly, or we can look at it as a part of our total investment. So there's two different ways you got to look at it. Um, if we're, if we're going to put the money up front or we're going to put it long-term. Right. Okay. Um, so let's just use 10% for now for the repairs. Um, and let's say, so monthly is 10% and it's another $80 a month in, in repairs. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other thing is a lot of people, and I've never seen a broker that's advertising rental properties or apartment buildings. Um, well, apartment buildings, sometimes you need to some of the commercial brokers, but just regular rental properties, they don't factor in vacancies. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a vacancy allowance. Right. You have to have a vacancy allowance. I like to use 10% of a vacancy allowance as well, because 10, if 10% a year on a vacancy allowance will give you approximately, I don't know, three to four weeks a year, that property can be vacant. Okay. Okay. So that way you're taking, using that number as is your vacancy allowance. You know that, Hey, this property, if it, even if a tenant moves out, as long as we hurry up and get it, the turnover, we call it a turnover, get it painted, get it ready again. And then we know that, we, you know, in three to four weeks, as long as if we're in a good area, that shouldn't be a problem anyway. Right. But that gives us a little bit of buffer. Now we know we're still going to hit our cash on cash return number. Okay. So let's say 80 for 10% on vacancies. All right. So now we should be able to figure out our PCF if we paid all cash for that property. So we got 800 in rent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. $80 in property management. Mm-hmm. Eight, let's say $50 in taxes. And these are just an estimate. $50 in insurance. Mm-hmm. $80 in repairs. Eighty dollars in vacancies. What's that give me? Three forty. About three forty. Yeah. Three forty positive cash flow. So three forty a month. So now we take that number times it by twelve. What's that give me? Three forty times four thousand eighty. Yeah. Four thousand eighty. Yeah. Okay. And now for me to get my cash on cash return number, I'm going to take that 4,080 and I'm going to divide it by my $80,000 by paid all cash for it. Mm. 0.5. What is it? 5%. 5% return, 5% cash on cash return. Mm-hmm. So even on that number, there's not much there as you, most people would think there would be on that property. Right. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot that could go into this, but a lot of people really fail to think about their repairs. They fail to think about the vacancies. Mm-hmm. And this is where people make mistakes in real estate. They're not factoring in property managers. They're not factoring in these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting 20%. Well, I would guarantee you, most of these people are saying 20%. If we really broke it down and included everything that we know is going to happen, you, right. these things are going to happen. Right. The, mm-hmm. the 10% repairs, it's not going to happen every single month, but that year you're going to have hundreds of dollars in repairs. Something's going to happen. Right. Hmm. Toilets are going, something's going to happen. There's some, I mean, even in a, if you bought a brand new house, something's probably going to happen. It's not <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> I'm sorry, Doc. Sorry, Doc. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't poking there, but. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> That's awesome. Go ahead. Go ahead. So let's just really quick, um, what's, let's, let's figure out that's 5% if you paid all cash. Right. right. So let's just take the same one. What's 20% of 80,000? Making you guys work today. You know you're going to yeah, do that. Nah. <laughs> what is that, 4,000? 20% of 80? Yeah. 20%. 16,000. Oh, 16, sorry. Yeah, 16,000. So you could probably go to a community bank, and I'm a big advocate for community banks. Um, a lot of times versus your bigger like Bank of America. It's different in real estate when you're owning properties than it is dental practices a lot of times. Um, your community banks, they keep the properties in-house, the loans in-house, um, instead of selling the loans on a secondary market. 
And, and as an investor, once you really, as you can only get about 10 loans, real estate loans on the secondary market, um, then, then it's really, really hard. So I'd like to go, I haven't been able to get loans on the secondary market for a while. Really like the small community banks. Um, they do only lend in that area, but almost every, every community is going to have a small community banks that'll, that'll do deals at 20% down over 30 years. So I'm going to really pl quickly plug in on a mortgage calculator here. So our loan at 80,000 minus 16. So we're getting a loan for 64,000. Mm -hmm. What's my payment on that? Let's just say that's going to be a little bit higher than the interest rates just rose, but interest on, a, on investment property, you're going to be at least probably a percent higher. Let's just say at 5.5. Let's see what this is. On 5.5 interest or 5% interest on this one. So it's like 344 on this one. So that's your P and I is 344. So for example, on this one, I probably wouldn't even be doing this deal because now you have your P and I at 344, you're probably going to be breaking even on this property when you're factoring everything in. So now you would know, hey, I got to get a, a better property that's more than than this if I'm going to cover all my expenses. So, but typically you will see and um, that you're going to get a much better return when you're actually, when you are financing from a bank. Okay. Um, yep. So, so, so I was just no, I'm sorry. Go so ahead. what you just what you just did right there was actually pretty cool because you broke everything down, and then by looking at that, you basically made a decision in what five minutes whether or not you wanted to buy this property. You didn't have to waste time going to look at the property. You, did, you basically eliminated this property. You said, "I don't have time. I'm going to go ahead and you do the numbers. The numbers can't lie." You basically said, "Hard, fast, no, I'm done. I, I, I'm moving on to this property." It wasn't, "Oh well, it has beautiful curb appeal," or you didn't waste time doing any of that other stuff. Exactly. And I think, and, and I feel like that's what we do uh, whenever we're, we're novice to anything. We're like, well, let's go look at it and see if we like it. Maybe the neighbors are nice people. And you know what I mean? Like you didn't even do that. You, you, you didn't even, you didn't waste your time at all. Absolutely. And I, and I totally agree. That's what you need to be doing. You guys don't need to focus on, you know, it's nice to have properties that really ideally nobody should ever know that you have that property anyway. If you're doing the right in asset protection, last thing you guys want as a doctor is to have your personal name on a house anyway. So what are you going to brag about the house that you're, you have for rent? No, that's not the purpose of having the rental properties, right? So what does it matter what the current, I mean, what those kind of things are, the numbers is what you need to care about as a, as a true investor and, and, and anything. And I use the same strategy for everything I'm looking at. What's my true cash on cash return going to be? If I'm going to put this money out what's my return going to be? And, and this is where, like, like you mentioned, I find it a little interesting and um, I haven't got into NFTs or anything like that yet. I don't understand them yet because I can't understand. I can't figure out what my cash and cash return is. I can't figure out what the supply and demand is. So I struggle with it. There's a lot of people making really good money, um, but I'm still, I, I do a lot of investing. I'm still pretty conservative because I have to know what going into the investment, typically what it's going to be. Yeah. What advice, yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say the problem that I struggle with all that stuff too, and you know, everybody's talking about digital real estate in the metaverse now. Um, I, I think we're seeing those uh, you know, those single things that jump out, like oh, this person just bought four hundred fifty thousand dollars to live next to Snoop Dogg in the virtual universe, and uh, it's it's all. Uh, 
you know, you hear about these extravagant things with the NFTs also like the, this person bought it for a thousand dollars and it's selling for $5 million now because that's the value that somebody put on it. But that doesn't mean the value is going to stay like that. I, well, I mean, Kyle, you got to understand, like, you do see the halftime show. Snoop Dogg killed it. I <laughs> <laughs> he did. That was an awesome halftime show. I would live that, I would live that to Snoop Dogg because, I mean, that, 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 I don't know, Kyle. You might want to use another example. <laughs> no, I'm messing by Snoop Dogg in the metaverse, though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I, I agree I, with I, you, I Todd. It, it's the value that people put in it. And traditionally, there's value. People need a place to live. And that's why real estate is so attractive that that there's only so much real real estate. There's uh, other than you know building new real estate, but uh, everybody needs a place to live. So that's one of those things that is always going to go up in value, um, where all the new stuff is just how much are people going to value it and how for how long. Todd, can I you ask would you just mentioned something? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I said, can I ask you a question after you answer this too? I want to, I want to talk about like new investors coming into the market uh, for real estate, but in having to deal with, you know, someone as big as BlackRock, who is basically buying every real estate, every, you know, I mean, these companies have billions of dollars and you're competing against companies like that. How, how do you basically convince someone like myself who's new to this to stick into the, you know, stick in with, you know, with this, like, how do you compete against big, big companies like that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, I think Zillow was trying to do the same thing. Well, look, what happened to Zillow? Do you guys see what happened to Zillow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they lost all Zillow's of gone because they were just, they were overpaying. And the market hasn't even corrected and Zillow's gone. So, I mean, it truly, as, a, as an individual person that is investing, it does take some work. you got to, you know, it's the same thing as like, I always tell people when they're looking to buy real estate, you're going to see properties on the market, like on the MLS, but the MLS is like, think about it like this. MLS is like Walmart. So, right. It's the retail market. If you're buying anything at retail, it's really hard to sell it at wholesale. Could you go to Walmart, buy something and go sell it at Amazon? Right. Probably not. Right. You would need to find a way to buy that at a wholesale price to be able to really make money on that. And for those that and, don't know, MLS of, is, it, it, explain, uh, explain what it the is. MLS is the multiple listing service. Right. So if, if a, in realtor.com, um, so anything on realtor.com is listed by a real, real estate agent. And that's when you go to realtor.com, that, that's what they call the MLS, the multiple listing service. And that's where most people in a good market, like right now, they put it on the MLS because why would they sell it any other way when they could put it on the MLS, get the most exposure, create a bidding war and, and get higher prices than they're ever going to get right now. So, you know, so I'm not recommending, you know, the people I work with investing right now, we're, we're really, really, really cash heavy right now and waiting for the correction to happen instead of going competing against people that's easy to get mortgages right now competing against all everybody right now so if you're cash heavy right now when this market starts to correct it's going to have to at some point there's going to have to be because interest rates are going to go up inflation's going up people aren't going to be able to afford the mortgages and the houses so there's got to be a point where there's going to be a correction so if you get yourself in a, in a cash heavy position you're going to be able to get discount properties back in 2010 we were buying what they call reos which are bank owned properties. That's after the foreclosure happened. Banks were liquidating homes. We were buying homes in Cape Coral, Florida for $100 a square foot. 
and that includes the land. You know, this is 2010. It's not that long ago, 12 years mm-hmm. ago. And that was at the, kind of at the bottom of after the last, after the last correction, I went through the last correction, you know, I was started in investing in 2005. And so I was, I started investing right at the peak before. So I saw it go up, I saw it go down and I saw a lot of people make money, lose money and, and people making money again and people making not good decisions with their, with their money again, like it was happening back then. Um, but if you can hold on, there's going to be what we call a wholesale market. There ha- that wholesale market could be anything from what we call a short sale. That's what some of these people are getting these loans and then maybe they lose a job. Um, something happens, they, they lose a job, you know, then they have to, they, they owe more on the house than the house is worth. So we can go in, negotiate with the bank and be able to get a little bit off that principle. And we're creating um, wholesale scenarios. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do that. So what do you tell somebody who you just said you have to be heavy on cash, but that cash, I'm sure you want that money to make you money. So where do you tell them to put their, um, their cash in? If CDs are, you know, we already talked, you know, uh, CDs are definitely not the way to go. So where would you tell them um, to put their cash so that it's still liquid enough for a good deal to come along for you to pick it up? They need to find uh, like somebody like um, like Greg, a practice CFO, or somebody like that that's really good at putting things like in some of the bonds and things like that. Um, I have a financial broker that I work with that does some of that management for me. So when I say I'm cash, it is it is at a point where it's it's easily accessible, but I'm getting like seven eight percent on it. So I'm still barely breaking even on most of my cash if, with inflation, which with I don't inflation, like because yeah. I don't feel like I'm growing. You know, one of the whole. <laughs> rich dad philosophies that I've always learned is you've got to be growing every year. And um, this is probably, I mean, to be upfront honest, probably one of the first years I've, I've made money and I've grown that way, but my money hasn't made a ton of money because I liquidated my real estate just because knowing that they're knowing that it's going to have this market's going to have to have some kind of correction. Right. So yeah, I think the biggest thing is to be educated on it. And yeah. one thing I didn't talk about is, is, I did not talk about appreciation. You know, some people will say, well, you're not factoring in. I know there's somebody that's going to be listening to this, this podcast and be like, oh, well, he's not factoring in appreciation. The appreciation to me is a bonus. That's not factoring in your cash on cash now. Appreciation is a bonus. If it happens, it happens. But you buy the property based on the cash flow now. You don't buy a property because you think it's going to go up in, in so many years. That's never how I'm ever we, never going to buy a property. I'm buying it based on what it's doing today. And what are so the, some people will say, well, your cash on cash return, you need to factor in at 3% a year for average appreciation. Well, if they did that right now on a property, do they really think it's going to be in two, three years from now, it's going to be 9% higher than today? Maybe. Okay. What, are, what are the tax, or do you know what the tax strategies are as investing in real estate compared to you know, some of the other traditional investments of, you know, stocks, bonds, is there right. any benefit there? Oh, there definitely is. And that's where you, it's all part of, like I said, about the power team with the right, um, right property manager. They need to get their a really good CPA that understands investing and really good person on their team that can go through that. I mean, there's a lot of different ways, um, creative ways to do, to structure real estate. You know, if you're making too much income, maybe you need to buy a second home in, in a place that's, you know, there's not going to maybe make a ton of money for you in a cash on cash return. But again, I'm going to leave that, that question up to your CPA and, sure. and your personal. But 
but yes, yeah, so you are going to be able to, there is some, some really good strategies, some good depreciating strategies and ways to help your tax benefits as well. So let me ask about, you know, again, um, I'm, you know, I, I work with patients all day, every day. Right. And, and, you know, I love my patients and everything, but if I had a choice and if I could just work where like I had a robot in front of me, I'd probably do that because it's more predictable. People are not predictable. Right. right? So, so you have a house and you're loving it, you know, the money's coming in because you've done your numbers and everything. Then let's just say they leave, but destroy your house. And that 10% didn't account for them. Right. So how do you make sure that your manager management, because you're not trying to deal with that. So your management people know what to do and how to do, like, how do you vent for management? I guess that's what I'm asking so that you know that, Hey, they've dealt with this situation before. I mean, obviously you're going to go over referrals, but even going back to that with the website, if somebody is, is certified in it, they've actually went through extra training in this. They're not always going to be perfect. Um, but I, I definitely feel like you're going to get the best. I mean, just like not every dentist is perfect. You're going to, there's some that are better than others. And it's, it is going to be the same thing. So it would be kind of the same vetting process, the credentials, what they're looking at, looking at their portfolio. About, and I always ask for, you know, several referrals when I'm going into a property management company of um, investors that they work with that own other properties in an area. Um, Cause a lot of property managers don't have Google reviews or things like that. Like we, we'd like to like our patients look at, like when they're looking at right. one of a doctor. Now, you, you mentioned uh, briefly that, you know, with the cash on cash return that you're looking at at real estate, you're applying that to any of your other investments also, and you're getting into, uh, you own several other businesses. Uh, is that something where you think is a, a viable investment opportunity versus dealing with real estate, just getting into different businesses to invest in? I Absolutely. And that is one of the things that I'm looking at right now is investing in um, other companies because I do have some extra cash right now and I do want to invest it. So we're looking at buying some companies that that aren't doing so well, just like in, in, when COVID hit, there's a lot of dentists that didn't reopen, right? The merger and acquisition market for in dentistry was probably, there's more action in that market in the last 18 months than there has been, at least everyone always tells me than there has been in a long time. So, um, you know, I think it's the same thing. There's a lot of businesses that haven't been surviving, but I know that if they had the right C-level team, the right power team members, they could, they could survive. So there's some other things. I definitely would encourage anybody to look at their cash. And if they're going to put in any cash outlay, what is that return really going to get you? The same thing with my, I tell my, my clients, if you're going to look at a merger and acquisition, you know, what, if you have to do an outlay of cash, what are you, what are you looking at? What are you, where are we going to get in return for this? And that's when we really get some of the creative forging strategies when we're doing merger and acquisitions, we like to do earnouts to make it a win-win and kind of have both people. So it's not one person that's going to win. Both, both parties have to win on in a lot of the deals that we structure when we're doing dental mergers. Now, when you talk about different businesses, this is what I have in my head. You guys watch uh, um, Shark, the Ozarks, Shark Tank? Oh, the Ozarks, Ozarks on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Todd, you ever see What that? show is it? Ozarks. Ozarks, the Ozarks. Oh, Ozarks. Yeah, the money laundering. <laughs> yeah. They're always buying up these small, underperforming little businesses and, and they right. use clean the money, the drug money to, to run through. But it's basically that they're looking at the numbers and I mean, they're they're puffing up the numbers with drug money running through it. But 
that's basically what they're doing, right? They're looking at a small business and ways that um, they can make the numbers work to launder this drug money through. But that, well, we uh, we don't we don't <laughs> encourage we don't encourage anybody to. I'm not encouraging. Uh, I'm just that that's listen, what's running through my head with investing Kyle, in businesses. <laughs> we did listen. We just we just got back to the podcast. Let's not get canceled immediately <laughs> because you spent some time you spent some time watching Ozark. Okay, let's not do that. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Back to other questions. <laughs> Minus <laughs> Kyle's side gig. Uh, when when it comes to when it comes to getting people invested or excited about real estate, what is the? I mean, if you had to put top, I don't know, three three reasons why you should do real estate versus stock market, right? Because we've been sold that stock markets are kind of like your retirement tool, right? But when I talk to somebody like yourself, or when I talk to other people who are really big into real estate, they're like, no, real estate is my retirement. Because I can control for that. And it's a little more um, uh, predictable in a way, right? I mean, we had, we had the, uh, 2008, 2009. But they're like, well, how many, look at how many crashes we had in the market. You know what I mean? So, so talk about like, what are your reasons? If you had to give me a reason, somebody that's not really, I'm kind of shaky on real estate. What are your reasons why I, I should really start focusing on real I think depending on who you're talking to, you're going to see like graphs that show, hey, the stock market since 1910 has been here. Real estate's went up the same. Some people are going to give you, you know, all kinds of different examples. And, you know, if you can pay attention to the stock market and you know what, when to get in and when to get out, I guess, I mean, some of the longer term strategies I know work really, really well. Um, I've always been a real estate guy myself. I feel like I can control that. Um, more so than I can the stock. I think it goes back to this, probably the, the main reason for me, I'd like to be in control of that. And I like to have the actual hard assets. And one thing I haven't even mentioned that I do still have a bunch of, there's a whole nother side of the real estate business that a lot of people don't even realize. And we don't have a ton of time to get into this, but there's a paper side of the business where you can be the bank on the properties. That's even kind of better because then if you're the private mortgage holder, if you're being the bank, then we call it the three T's. Now you don't got to worry about tenants, turnover, or toilets. You don't have to worry about any of those or your property manager. So I, I do have a lot of paper um, and I've had, I've had it for a while. And I call that paper, that's the paper side of the business. So somebody mm -hmm. lives in the house, but it's again, there's not a whole lot of new paper being created on the private market right now because of the because of the um, the real estate market currently, but if we start having another correction, that's another way. I really like that. I think the you know real estate is a, is a great way if you're flipping properties. Um, if you buy it right, you're going to be able to make a good chunk of change quickly if you know what you're doing. But again, I mean, nothing's as easy as HGTV makes it look like, and I think that's where <laughs> a lot of people get excited about excited about real estate is because, Hey, oh my gosh, look what they did. And they made so much money so quick, so fast. It's not that it's not that glamorous. And if you're looking at it from a numbers perspective, I can't give you a glamorous answer doc because mm. it's not glamorous. It's numbers for me. It's numbers. It's predictable numbers. And it's predictable numbers for me. It's predictable numbers because I can control those numbers. Mm. I can't control what Boeing's going to do and, and affect the doubt. Uh, you know, I can't control what, I mean, yes, there is. I mean, there's extent. And, and I know that, you know, a lot of really good financial advisors are going to diversify. And, and um, both of you mentioned about how you guys diversify. And that, I think that's important in anybody's strategy. I don't just invest in real estate. I invest, like I said, in paper side of the real estate and real estate. I still have some stocks. Um, I still have mutual funds. So I think a diversification at the end of the day is the most important thing. 
So I think for somebody like you, I would tell you the main reason you need to do it, Doc, is because of diversification. Mm-hmm. What happens if the stock market does? You need to diversify your, your portfolio. And why wouldn't you have real estate, something that is always growing, something that it can never make anything more of. We can always make more companies. We can always make, there are always new companies coming in for doing IPOs, right? right. So real estate's one thing. Yeah, we're going to keep building real estate, but there's only so much land. And and I do feel like, you know, especially too, if it's in good areas, you're, you're going to be fine. You never want to buy in a war zone. You never, I mean, those type of things, people that struggle with real estate, people that talk bad about real estate, a lot of times they do it because they bought in an emotional time. They bought in too high. They bought in for an emotional reason versus a true number reason. And if you buy, if you get in real estate and buy truly by the numbers, like I'm talking about here, you're not going to have those emotional hiccups you're going to have. So let's. One more question. How do you find those properties? Because like you said, the, the MLS is basically the Walmart of real estate. So what is a good resource to finding uh, good real estate? Is it finding the right real estate agent that will give you tips that, or tip you off that this property is coming to market before it's listed? Or is it uh, like you mentioned, you really haven't spent a whole lot of time in Louisville, Kentucky, but you've had a lot of property there. Uh, how are you finding those properties? Is it are you just searching online and seeing what's available through yeah, great MLS question. or Zillow or something? Great question. There's not a whole um, lot of wholesale um, deals out right now. That's why I haven't been buying just because of the market. So because the demand's so high for all real estate, when a market starts to turn, you are going to see what's called Liz pendants or notice of defaults that are filed. That's when somebody starts to miss a payment. There's a term called, depending on the state's foreclosure process, it's either a Liz pendant or a notice of default. And when that happens, those are public information. Somebody's technically in foreclosure when they're 31 days late on their payments. That is a public filing. Um, there's some different sites and stuff you can see online that when somebody starts to go late on their on their mortgage, and then you can easily do your research. A lot of different um, real estate softwares out there. I'm not going to promote any one, but there's a lot of real estate softwares out there that you can say, okay, this is what the valuation is. And so their valuations are typically a little bit better than your Zillow's estimates. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Zillow's made up um, value numbers a lot of times. I, I wish my houses were worth what Zillow says my houses are worth. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, you got to figure out what your, your house is worth, what the house is going to be worth and, and figure out what you can get it for. And, you know, if, if somebody overpaid for the house, really the only way you're going to be able to get that a wholesale is by doing a short sale is getting the bank because you're still not going to pay what they're going to pay. And that's a whole another process that we, you guys probably haven't heard that term in 10, 12 years because that really hasn't been around when the market's going up. Um, that's one way, you know, um, probates. I've got a lot of deals through probates. There's what's called probate attorneys. Those are people with estate deals. They have to actually close the, the um, estate out. So you can actually, there's, that's a, another, that's another public filing. You can get that public information when, in, when a house is, is in probate. You work with a probate attorney. Hey, we'll take this off your hands for this this price, and then you can close out the estate. You don't have to go through everything else in, in the deal. So those are just a couple little things that we like to do. I mean, there's obviously the same thing we do in mergers and acquisitions. We if we target an area we really like, we'll send out letters. The same exact way I help my clients out in, in my dental um, offices out is we we send out letters. Hey, if you're looking to sell, we are buyers. 
just getting your out there as a buyer. So, hey, before you decide to list it with a real estate agent, pay 6%, because that's typically what they have to pay because the seller of a real estate is the one that pays the the um, buyers and the seller side. The people that don't realize that it comes out of the seller side, not the buyer doesn't really technically pay and say, hey, contact us first. So let us at least make an offer. Then you don't have to go through that whole process of getting it ready, showing it all the time. And, and, you know, so again, these strategies don't work as well today. Um, you know, we're sitting here February 20th, 2022, it, just because the market is so hot. You can put any house, at least in Pittsburgh here right now, and you can put any house on the market right now and you have an open house and you're going to have 40 people there. Um, there was one in our neighborhood just today um, that was started at 10 o'clock and there, there was people waiting to go in there at 10 a.m. this morning. Um, so, so it, it, again, so that's why I'm not been, you know, extremely, extremely active in the real estate market. I think there's going to be a time. So people, Lisa, they can start learning, Hey, let's practice and let's run some numbers. I encourage everybody on here just to practice running their numbers, you know, develop a little, your own Google docs sheet or your own spreadsheet and figure out, okay, you know, Hey, I know I got to factor in rent. I'm not going to manage it myself, taxes, insurance, your repairs and your vacancies. And if you're not happy with 10%, adjust the repairs to what you need to be, but you have to have it in there. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Any agent or anybody else talk you out of counting that number in your expenses. And the last question for me is what resources would you use for a newcomer? Like what resources would you recommend a newcomer um, look into when it comes to beginning their journey with real estate books, podcasts? I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that that's a great question. And you know, there's a website called bigger pockets um, it's, it's a good place. Um, it's in, it's like anything though, you know, there's some people that are really knowledgeable and there's other people that are, that don't know what they're talking about. So you got to really kind of sort through what's good and what's not good on there. I mean, that's a good, it's a forum. There's some good resources on there. Um, I definitely, um, you know, anytime you can, Robert always has podcasts and stuff too. I mean, that's another good source on there. You know, um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that are out there. There is, um, you know, I'm trying to, Dean Graziosi is another one that has a pretty good real estate program out there as well. I, uh, so I said, I, I already asked my last question, but this, this is really my final one. Um, Cause I, I see a lot of commercials on investing in um, gold and silver right, right now. And they always have a little snippet of Robert Kiyosaki saying, I love silver. How much does he really like investing in silver? And is that a good investment in your opinion? He's always talked about precious metals. I don't know where he's at, what his position is currently. I really don't. Um, I do have some gold and silver bars. It's something I keep. Um, I probably the physical asset? The physical asset? The physical, okay. physical assets, yep. Cool. That's, that's awesome. I have the physical like assets. Yeah. We have some of the little gold bars, even in, in yeah. a safety deposit box. And, you know, you can even just start by getting some of the um, silver coins, you know, yeah. just little things like that. Somebody could start doing. And that's something, too, that's, you know, I think that's something that's always going to be around as well. But again, I'm not huge into it. I have a um, uh, an ETF that's in like iSilver. Or I, I can't remember what it is, but I have I know in one in my portfolio, too, I have an ETF that's just silver. That's done decent um, over the years as well. So there's different ways you can get in gold and silver, but I can't speak for him or anybody else, um, especially now that I, I work with doctors. I'm with Fortune Management now, so I'm yeah. not even with Robert yeah. anymore, but he's been a yeah. great influence <laughs> in my life. Is, awesome. there, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we uh, didn't 
didn't get a chance to ask you about? I think um, I probably covered more than you guys wanted me to. <laughs> I always nah, tend to talk nah. too much. No, 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 no. This was great because in the end, you know, you want to get people going in the right direction. And I think this podcast is, is here to try to get people to understand that nine to five dentistry or seven to seven or whatever you do in dentistry should just be one avenue to basically get into that retirement age where you're comfortable and you're happy. You're not just this grumpy old, you know, 80 year old dentist still working and then going, when the heck am I going to retire? You know I mean? That's the last thing we want to do. We want to basically get people to retire as early as possible, or at least do what do dentistry for the fun of it. You know I mean? It sounds crazy when I say it, but it truly is just, you should be doing it for the fun of it because you don't need it. You want to do it. And those are probably the best dentists out there, not the grumpy ones, you know what I mean? Or the ones that are building houses. Like you don't want those people, you know? <laughs> that's, that's where fortune management can, comes in and they want you to yes. come from a, a yes. place of abundance and not from a that's place it. of need uh, with the work that you're doing. So go ahead and sum like it up. out water in his miserable time building this house. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually, I, mean, I don't think you did that on purpose, but it was like so perfect. I was like, man, that, that, that sucks. <laughs> That sucks, you know. I mean? <laughs> but uh, but it's all good. It's all good. And then I have I have guests here. Hello. Yes. Okay. Yeah. My little ones are telling me I gotta get off. <laughs> so, so let's well, thank you so back. much, Todd. Thank you, Todd. Thank and you I guys. Guess, thank you. you. I appreciate come, it. You gotta you gotta come back on just at least you know once in a while just to kind of motivate these dentists, motivate us, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just motivate us and 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 get us to start thinking differently. One more time Absolutely. for everybody uh, that didn't listen to the last podcast how can people reach out about fortune management or what what you're doing yeah so um you can always email me todd king at fortune mgmt.com todd king at fortune mgmt.com um i like i said i still coach um dentist and um i still do my real estate and stuff on the side so awesome thank you so much again todd thank you guys i really appreciate thank you guys all right bye yeah Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.